Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome back to another edition of Ukraine Plus Football Podcast. My name is Ray. I'm still in Kiev after 50 days of war against Russians. We thank Ukrainian Armed Forces for an opportunity to celebrate life every day. We welcome two special guests tonight. Irina Kuzupa from Tribuna.com website is here. Hello, Irina. How are you? Are you safe? Hello, Ray. Thank you very much. And hello, everyone, guys. Uh, yes, I'm okay. I uh, have never been so lucky to have my home in Ternopil as, as during the last months. Just uh, to wish to everyone stay safe. Slava Ukraini and thanks Great Britain for help. Hello, I'm Slava. I really understand your feelings here. Our second guest tonight keeps us all safe in the capital of Ukraine. From Kiev Territorial Defense, a former professional world-class tennis player. Sergei Stachowski. How are you, Sergei? Assume you're not on duty right now. You're currently in territorial defense. Uh, how has it been going these days in Kiev? Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, it's the last couple of weeks have been pretty quiet in Kiev, actually. To be honest, I've traveled uh, a bit east, let's put it that way, to, to deliver some stuff and to, to participate in, you would call it a frontline patrolling. But... Uh, yeah, I just returned yesterday. What, what day is it? Anyway, I just returned recently from from, uh, from just under Slavensk and uh, through Kharkiv. Uh, yeah, and in comparison to Kiev, that's a bit more, I would say, loud destination to go to right now. Of course, my excellent co-hosts are here today as well. From London, please welcome Andrew Todos. Great to see you, mate. Definitely been a while. How has war changed your UK routine? Well... Thanks for the introduction, Ray. It's been a it's been a weird six seven weeks from here. Doing what I can from far away from from Ukraine, uh, helping out in volunteering, coordinating efforts over here, helping in the information war on social media because you know you've got to counter that as well. But yeah, I'm very much ready to chat about some of the topics that we've probably missed talking about over the past few weeks and maybe putting into a new context in the paradigm of war. Totally agree with you there, mate. Uh, well, it's time for me to let our founder, Adam, take it from here. Hello, mate. How are things looking from Budapest? It's good to be back. I've missed this a lot, as I've missed many things since February 24th, when our lives changed forever. Obviously, uh, as you say, we're in Budapest, and... The family, we've came here about five weeks ago after a few weeks in the Carpathians. Um, on a more positive note, now I'm happy that I'm going to be working with Ukrainian children that have been forced from their homes into Europe. As some of you know, we will go to Luxembourg uh, next week to to work with the Ukrainian children there for the remainder of the war to make sure they're not missing out on their education which is on the day job. But Slava Ukraina, we'll all be back home united as soon as possible when we've got heroes like Sergei. We're going to focus on sport tonight. Uh, I have to ask you, before we dive more into football, 
I'd love to get your perspective on on the tennis world, obviously. From your take, how has the tennis world reacted to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how much support have they offered to Ukraine in general? Uh, well, firstly, I'd like to just point out that I'm no hero. Uh, I would say that our armed forces and the National Guard and the you know, SSO and the Ukraine Corpus, they are more the heroes because they took the, the hit in the, in the first days and they're still defending us. I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know what to know, what, what's going to happen. But, you know, six and if basically, yes, was some shelling thing. Yes, patrolling could be dangerous. But in general, I cannot really say that, you know, that, that I've did anything heroic in, in, in what I've done. Uh, apart from that, um, the support from the tennis community was immense, uh, at least in terms of private messages. Uh, some of the players, of course, shared also their their thoughts and their and their press uh, through the social media in the press conferences. Uh, of course, we lacked uh, a lot uh, the let's say opened condemnation from the Russian players, whether it's male or female. There was no open sentencing saying, you know, that Russian invasion, that it's wrong. It was also just saying no war, like Ukraine started a war. Uh, we were invaded by Russian Federation uh, bluntly, uh, suddenly and unexpectedly and uh, and was a, was a big force. Yes, privately, I received the messages from the Russian tennis players, former, current, uh, all of the uh, were condemning uh, privately uh, those acts of uh, terrorism. But uh, publicly, you know, uh, they didn't step out. Um, in the first, uh, I would say, weeks or I would say weeks, a couple of weeks, I was I was willing to accept that fact, you know, that they're scared for the, for the families and for the relatives that they would be um, punished by the government, by the regime, or, you know, they'll be whether put to jail. Or, it doesn't matter. The, 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 Anything that, you know, that they would say publicly against the war would have repercussions on their family and their close ones. Uh, so they were scared. Uh, in the first week, I, would, I was able to accept that maybe because I thought, you know, there would be a plenty of Russians coming out in the streets and protesting this war. But when we saw the opposite, when we saw that, or I saw at least that, you know, the Russians are actually supporting Putin, that there's not enough people going to the streets, that they're scared just to go out because they would get, I don't know, three or six days in jail because they would protest while... Russian bombs were killing innocent people, men, women, children. Uh, I cannot live with that. I cannot accept it. I cannot accept that somebody, somebody would silence and say, you know, that sports is um, above politics. There's no politics in sports, and you know, and and they uh, they have no idea about politics. You have no idea about life and death. You don't know about any idea about when somebody's killing somebody, when somebody's coming into a house and killing your friends. And you're going to tell me that, you know, sports is, you know, sports is above it. You, 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 you cannot judge it. Uh, absolutely bullshit. Uh, epic, epic bullshit. So uh, for me, that's a marker where the collective guilt of uh, Russian citizens, whether it's athletes, whether it's businessmen, IT people, it doesn't matter. They will have to bury a collective guilt. They will have to publicly condemn it. If they want in the future to be uh, accepted in the, society of normal European civilized world, they have to condemn it now, not after it will be too late. Because once they lose, and they will lose, they will not defeat Ukraine. To defeat Ukraine, they'll have to kill every single Ukrainian inside Ukraine to defeat Ukraine. And they don't have enough bullets for that. And balls as well. But they unfortunately have do enough uh, bombs. Um, you know, after that, that will happen, you know, 
predominantly, of course, we know there will be two scenarios. It's either Russians are going to get even more angrier on Ukrainians that they lost, you know, and they will try even harder to to suppress us, or they will, you know, come to realization that they've been all tri- tricked into it, or they've been, you know, mocked, and they'll say, "Oh, we didn't know." Well, this this part I will never be able to accept. We didn't know. It's your. It's their fault that they elected this government. It's their fault that they've been. Uh, tricked into uh, a parallel reality of Russian propaganda, and it's not the Ukrainian fault, and definitely not the fault of Ukrainian kids and women and and, and innocent men and elderly that they lost their lives because of these faults. Completely agree. Very well said there. Thank you, Sergey. Irina, I'm going to come to you now, and we've seen uh, over the last few weeks a lot of horrific imagery throughout the media of innocent civilians who've been killed, homes, infrastructure destroyed. And in the sporting world, uh, we've seen just this week again, the images from Chernigiv of the stadium that has been destroyed. We've heard recently stories from Mariupol, of course, where the, the football infrastructure there has been destroyed. This week we've seen the images from Kiev Oblast where the football infrastructure has been destroyed. Keep using this word. I mean, with your work in the media, in the journal, journalist circles, what is the feeling about how this is going to impact on the future of sport in Ukraine? Wow, well, um, it's a huge question. It's a very huge topic. Of course, it will influence, but now it's difficult to say in how way. First of all, we have to finish war, we have to win this war, and then we will rebuild, I think, our sport. In any way, it will be different. It will be different than we have now. Maybe Sergei will tell more, he, like, he inside of sport, but even recently today, we post a big topic about, for example, Sergei Bubka. If to speak now in this situation, we have people, we have person in our sport that we expect another behavior from them. First of all, of main Olympic or even main sport guy in 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 our community, like Sergei Bubka, there is no no words about Russian invasion from him, and it's not very good. He should be in uh, in first place to to fight in a sport like frontline. The same with uh, other guys like Grigory Surkis, like uh, Voldemir Branzak from Biathlon, and like some other guys uh, from different federation. Uh, I think in, uh, in our new Ukraine, it will be a little bit new sport. Uh, as you say about the infra- infrastructure, I think um, it's not the main topic now. We will rebuild the stadiums um, and and so on. First of all, we have to like save our lives, save the lives of sportsmen, of civilians, of our soldiers, and even the sports stadiums. It's not on the topic. Like it's more painful to lose the host, the hospitals and the schools, universities, uh, buildings. It's cruel. It's painful, but. I think that's that's true. Yeah, I've got to say, I agree with that as well. And just following up on uh, Irena's point there about the National Olympic Committee 
chairman, Serhii Bubka. Just for anyone who doesn't know, he's been very quiet. And yesterday, Ukrainian Olympic former bronze medalist in the triple jump, Olha Sladucha, stated on a Facebook post that she has been trying to push him to do a bit more. She's been trying to work in parliament with the parliament committees to try and force the National Olympic Committee to do more in terms of backing Ukraine on a global scale for the influence that they have. As Irene already mentioned, Serhii Bubka has remained reluctant to call it a war. He's He's been reluctant to recognise uh, Russia as an aggressor and even condemn the occupation of Ukrainian towns and villages. So there is a problem there. And of course, I think probably not the ma- biggest priority right right now, but it will be something like Irena says, it will be cleaned up in post-war and hopefully you might have a cleaner sporting infrastructure in terms of the way that the top tables work across the different Olympic sports and everything else too, based on how people have reacted to all of this. So I think whilst we're just on this topic, just quickly returning to Serhi about tennis, what's your opinion on Russians and uh, Belarusians being allowed to compete still? What's your view on it in general? Well, in, in general, we see across the board all other sports, uh, the Russians are being banned from competing. Uh, one of the differences is that, you know, tennis is, the, is a sport where actually an individual is making himself. You know, you don't need a federation. They're not backed up the Russian federation. And all of the guys who are competing now on a high level, if we're talking about Russians, not the Belarusians, uh, they've all grown up uh, abroad, whether it's Chanov, Rublev, or Medvedev, you know, the Spain, Spain, uh, France. So, you know, they, they actually, I'm pretty sure they even never elected, they even never voted for the, for the Putin as a president. So, but as I said, the collective guilt part, that's where it's getting tough on everybody. Uh, they lost already uh, lost their flag and they lost their country. Uh, there's no country when they play. I think that for tennis, it's unprecedented to take that step. Uh, it's unprecedented that you know countries are like Great Britain uh, are willing to ban athletes unless they openly condemn or at least state their position on what's happening in Ukraine. That's unprecedented, but I think it's also uh, has a merit in today's world. We're in the 21st century and we have a a country in the middle of Europe which is attacked by its neighbor country and nothing like this ever happened before and and Russia actually threatens the world with using of nuclear weapons if somebody else will intervene in this conf- into this war so and that's nothing small actually you know it's not like uh, they're trying to take a little part of Ukraine somewhere or what they did with Crimea back in the day that's a completely different scenario right now so yes I do believe they should uh, not be allowed to play uh, I've came to that uh, understanding uh, through the time. Uh, in the beginning, I was, you know, I was actually opposing it. I was saying, you know, you have to go sport by sport. You have to go person by person because those those decisions are, are heavy. You know, you have an athlete who's been working all his life to achieve a certain result and then suddenly based on not really his fault, you know, he's been going to get out of it. But again, uh, Russia does not deserve to celebrate any victories right now uh, on a global scale. And they need to understand and to focus that unless they are changing their government, their structure and their understanding of how the world operates, they are, they're not accepted in the world. They, they're not welcome in any of the aspect of the model society. Because Russia took a huge pride, Putin took a huge pride in his sports uh, achievements, in Russian sports achievements. And they were willing to go the distance of doping scandals, government-sponsored 
uh, doping uh, programs, you know, to achieve those results. And so that's not, so, you know, sports uh, and politics doesn't mix. Uh, you had a state doping program running in Russia just to make Russia great in sports so they could translate that glory worldwide back to Russia and say, you know, we're doing the right things. You know, we are the greatest country, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, uh, the athletes from Russia should be banned. Uh, we've seen recently the acts of the, of the young uh, karting driver on World Championship when, where he did a Nazi-style salute and laughed about it. Those things are the things which they take normally now in Russia, and that's the problem. The problem is that in Russia, if Putin would say, we're going to invade Europe, they would accept it and they would you know, back, back him up. And that's the main issue, you know, kind of left us alone. They lived in their parallel world and we said, okay, you know, as long as they don't come in and they don't uh, invade us, you know, we can, we can try to move, move away from it and we can become better and try to get Donetsk and Luhansk back because the country is better, that they would want to live in Ukraine. But now we see that we were wrong because for the eight years they fed them with so much bullshit and lies that eventually they all think that we're Nazis, that I'm a Nazi, that Klitschko is a Nazi, that our president is a Nazi. I mean, I'm sorry, but the problem is that they are Nazis. Uh, I've been in Bucha, I've been in Hostomel, I've been in European, I've seen it. And believe me, you never want to see uh, those views, the, the things that, you know, the, the bodies on the streets, the destruction, uh, the level of scare of the people, of the residents when they came out of, of their shelters. It's, Ukraine will heal a very long time after this war. That's for sure. It is quite, I think, refreshing to see a sportsman as yourself. I know you have been open in your views way before the 24th of the 2nd, but just in general, there's a lot more other sports people who maybe have took the apolitical stance, Ukrainian-wise, up until recently. And uh, it's good to see that from all sorts of points of view, people are no longer sitting on the fence and actually showing their, their patriotic view and their political view in supporting Ukraine. And some particularly may not have said so much, but we'll be moving on to that a bit later. Uh, for the time being, I think we should just focus quickly on Ukrainian clubs and the fact that they've started doing friendlies now. So just this week, we've seen Shakhtar. They played against Olympiakos, where they lost 1-0 for a friendly match. In the stands, they had an empty stand with 176 sort of soft toys that represented all of the children that had been killed officially uh, so far in the war. Uh, and I think they raised over 3.2 million uh, Ukrainian hryvnia, which is about just over 100,000 euros. And then on Tuesday of this week, amidst a sort of a crazy day of news, really, uh, just as Dynamo Kiev versus Lechia was about to kick off, the Ukrainian special services revealed that they had captured the father of Putin's goddaughter. And that sort of left an extra, you know, an hour of watching this match, which was very emotional, to say the least. There was lots of Ukrainian refugees in the stand, a lot of women, uh, mothers, a lot of their kids, and a lot of Ukrainian, um, you know, my, my economic migrants that are still over there, and Polish people, of course, as well, coming together to support the cause. And I'm not sure how much has been raised, etc. But it very much showed on a global scale the awareness that this whole project is bringing. So I think just with that, uh, I'm going to maybe ask bring Ray in here. 
Do you think it's right that Dinamo and Shakhtar have been allowed to play these friendlies and leave the country? Because I've seen a lot of controversy or a lot of different opinions in Ukrainian media as to whether it's okay or not. Yeah, I've definitely seen those two, Andrew. And uh, well, we might say that these two clubs are Ukrainian football brands and they were there to represent the, um, the country's sports in some way, the fans, and uh, they, were, they could, could have been used to um, raise more money as uh, if we maybe imagine Veres Rivne going there or, um, well, I suggest Metalist Kharkiv or uh, even Mariupol would be a good sign of, um, you know, support and of the image if we would see uh, those teams uh, playing in Europe, but it's not what happened. So it's, uh, it's quite a debate, to be honest. Uh, I would just say that it was revitalizing and refreshing to hear Viktor Vatsko again and uh, to see the Ukrainians on stands and football and, well, it's just the, something that a little bit that helps these days. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Ray. Um, you know, just for, for people at home, especially, you know, in, in Ukraine, you know, having this, it's almost like a little bit of, little token of normality coming, coming into life, having a live game of football to watch on TV. Does it, does it just raise, raise spirits, raise morale, just the slightest? Yeah, it really does, Adam. I can, I can agree with you on that one. And uh, well, it's not as much as we would love to see. We would love to see UPL and and Drew and Amateur League back. Uh, but uh, still, as I said, it's probably something to deal with um, the football as uh, it's known abroad. And so far, it's Dinamo, Shakhtar, and obviously our Granny national team. Yeah, completely agree. And I think probably is going to be good for. Zbirna, who have got a World Cup playoff qualifier at the start of June to see these players that have probably, well, the Ukrainian ones that were left in Ukraine for the first six weeks of war to go out and play a bit, get ready for it. However, as we've already mentioned, it's a bit of a paradox. Why are some players allowed to go and others are not? And I think this is sort of like a Pandora's box. You could go on forever and not really find a a singular answer where everyone is completely agreeing on everything. I think this sort of helps with a nice segment into sportsman rehabilitation. And probably the man of the moment who, on top of yesterday's crazy news where the Dynamo match was happening and the Medvedchuk stuff was going on, we also had Yaroslav Rakitsky, who left Zenit St. Petersburg at the start of the war, um, has not actually said much publicly in any interviews or anything like that about the leaving or anything like that but he has since been training with Metalist and then after that he went to back to his old club Shakhtar and there are currently rumours that he may even be getting a call up to the Ukrainian national team. I think I'll open with this one for Elena. What are your opinions on this? I was waiting for this question about Rakitsky. <laughs> Um, just one small uh, thought about the national team. 
maybe not very popular uh, opinion, but I thought that no Shakhtar, no Dinamo should play these uh, friendly games. It should be only one team and it should be national Ukrainian team. I think it will be the best decision in this situation. And it will be much more uh, attention for the team in yellow and blue uh, t-shirts. And the games not in, with all my respect to Olympiakos, Legia and so on, so on. The great games on Wembley Stadium, for example, Ukrainian national team, or <laughs> it should, it could be very great uh, opinions. And about Rakitsky and his uh, comeback to the national team, I think it would be uh, only a political decision. We are not talking now about his physical condition. Should would be uh, he helpful for a national team in this situation? What his uh, shape now? It's only in political uh, sphere. I think it's like my opinion. He have to earn this uh, recall to the national team. Um, he showed a good position when he uh, left the Saint Petersburg. Right, uh, wrote this post that clearly said that Russian is uh, the enemy, that the Russians occupied the uh, invasion in Ukraine, but he have to continue to talk. He have continued to like help Ukraine to do something, not be silent. So it's, it's very possible his position, uh, his comeback, and I think it would be, uh, he uh, will come back to the national team uh, but he should try more to do some more. Yeah, I think it is. It's it's an interesting one for sure, especially as I've seen more and more sort of the well-known people in Ukrainian football discussing the fact that he will help the national team in a way due to his ability and all that kind of thing. But like you say, Irena, we've been seeing for the past three years when he hasn't been called up and the success Ukraine has had anyway. So I think it would be a bit disingenuous to just let him come back off the basis of a few friendlies and the fact that he's left Zenit when I think the problem in the start was that he went there anyway. I don't know if you've got anything to add there, said he, on this particular topic. What's your opinion? Unfortunately, I always have something to add. And I guess that was my problem. No, you see, the question here is that it's not that the war started on the 20th, 24th of February. The war started in 2014. Uh, with the annexation of Crimea and invasion into Slavyansk and then onwards down to to uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. And here what we see is that, you know, um, Shakhtar Donetsk has been on a selling spree already. You know, once the players left the premises of Ukraine, once they were able to travel, although, okay, okay the guys who left out, they were already internationals. They're not selling Ukrainian players so far. So they've been, they would be able to sell those anyway. But we see that those matches are done and um, you know, I agree completely with Arena that it should be a national team. You cannot pick and take, the, okay, two well-known clubs in the world, of course, yes. But it's such a huge disrespect towards all the other players who compete in different teams, who suffered uh, severe consequences of the war. Some of them are serving in the army, uh, not playing football. So that's, uh, for me, really a protectionism I would say you know that the, that the bosses of the club were able to pull this through and were able to get them out uh, unlawfully unfortunately because I, I as far as I'm concerned the law only allows you to leave the country unless you have three uh, kids which are underage and that's the only reason how you can leave the country uh, so 
Yes, they're raising awareness. Yes, 100,000 euro, honestly, for Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, that's nothing. That, that's, that, that can be donated by single-handedly by, by the owner, who, by the way, actually created all this DNR and LNR by his um, absolute, I would say, position of negotiation from both sides. You know, while he was trying to get the best of Ukraine and best of Russia, he lost control of, over Donetsk, which he was in control. And then it was all gone. Uh, Rakitsky is a case where, yes, he did the right thing, uh, but for a couple of years, he was, he was playing for Russian fans. Uh, he was entertaining them. He was uh, paying his uh, taxes to Russian Federation, meaning that he was paying for the bullets and rockets, which they're using now against Ukrainians. And that, unfortunately, will never be erased from him. Yes, he can try to, um, to face that he did wrong, that he would try to clear his name by either donating money or supporting um, refugees, children, hospitals. Yes, he can do that. But that stamp will always stay there and it's not going to be easy to remove it. So for me, yes, if he's a player who can make a national team stronger, definitely. With his experience, with his abilities, he can. That's, I, I will never, even through the, the times when he was in Zenit, I was saying the same thing. He's a, he's a type of player who can make our team stronger. But that's the question of we as a fans, and I'm taking myself as a regular fan, not that I'm a tennis player, I'm just a regular Ukrainian. And I want to support a team which I know that they are playing for the country. They're not playing for the money. And with that, I cannot really be sure of Rakitsky. That's, that's the whole point. As a Brit. I have to agree with that completely. And we saw just last summer with the Ukrainian team, so many players step up in the Euro champs to play at a level that many club fans of those players will say, why don't we see it when they're in our club shirts? It's something that, as a foreigner who's lived in Ukraine for many, many years, is something that, you know, it comes to the forefront of my mind when I think of what a Ukrainian is. It's someone who is puts his country first. And with Rakitsky, he certainly doesn't. Um, raised a very interesting point there when you were talking about players uh, being able to, you know, be, being allowed out of the country. And one player that wasn't mentioned there, Andrew, was uh, Dovbik, who I believe has been allowed to join up with Dinamo Kiev. Am I right with that? I don't think he has yet. I think he has been allowed, but he's not joined them yet. And I'm not entirely sure when he is going to join them, but apparently it's going to happen. Didn't he score two goals against Legia? No, that was Besedin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, a good comeback for Besedin, by the way. His first match since uh, that injury at the Euros that I think everyone will remember. The ultimate sacrifice for Dovbik yeah. to come on and score the winner. Yeah, but we're also, we are reading a lot in the press uh, around the world that perhaps the first Ukrainian player to be transferred out of his club could be happening rather soon with, in the case of Mikhail Mudrik and the discussions with Brentford seem to have gathered pace. Do you have any updates on those, Andrew? Yeah, so I think it was at the start of the week when the rumours were coming out from Ihor Burbas, who's usually quite reliable in terms of transfers and things like this. And he said that Brentford were back in for him and that he could potentially be joining them before the season's even over, 
to then start training with them before the season, the next season begins. However, the actual agent of Modric came out um, the day after and said, there are negotiations, discussions are going on. I don't think he named Brentford explicitly. He said that there is interest from them, but we've got offers from other different clubs as well. Um, Serhii Blotnikov of the channel KDK also said that he has got interest from Benfica, apparently. So different things going on at the moment, but I don't think he's probably going to move just yet. I think because it will be a bit like taking the piss. The fact that he was allowed to leave the country, uh, not play in these charity friendlies and then, you know, end up going to a different club. So I think it will probably happen after the, the national team uh, break that we expect him to be called up to as he was meant to be involved uh, had it been in March. What other movements been taking place at the moment? Mainly all coming out of uh, Shakhtar just in the past week. There have been a load that have happened over the past few months, but I know that you guys who follow me on uh, Twitter or on Instagram, etc., will have known for some of the other bigger names. But just this week, we've had Alan Patrick has officially left Shakhtar back to Internacional to join up with Tyson. And then Manuel Solomon, who has been rumoured to be going to Atalanta, to Arsenal over the past few seasons, is apparently, according to Fabrizio Romano, already signed a deal with Fulham, uh, who are more or less certain to be coming up to the Premier League next year. And he's only going for 7.5 million, which is a massive cut price on the asking price that Shakhtar wanted just even last summer, which they were asking for like 15, 20, 25. So what we could be potentially seeing is a bit of a fire sale from Shakhtar in particular. We know Dinamo are a bit more... Uh, obtuse in their dealings um, they might not be as as free free handling to let players go because you know sort of because even in normal times didn't want to do that so uh, I can see potentially no changes happening there albeit you'd hope that some of the players that we've been discussing over the years do end up getting a chance nothing to do with the war in itself but just getting the chance of playing in Europe that they richly deserve anyway. And yeah, I think this impact of all this fire sale going on at, at Shakhtar at the moment has meant that I think there's only one Brazilian who's going to be linking up with them for their friendlies. And that is our favourite <laughs> our favourite Brazilian, Marlon. What's your thoughts on that, Adam? Oh, man, it, sh- it shocks me. I, got into, I actually got into an argument with one of the South American players who doesn't plays for Dinamo, played for Dinamo, who I... I criticised quite uh, forcefully for his comments that he wouldn't be returning to Ukraine no matter what after Ukrainians did everything they could to get him and his family to safety. And then he promised, and he put into writing to me, he promised he would return and has now signed for a Brazilian club where he'll be spending the next few years far away from Ukraine. Um, I understand that players are afraid and they think about their careers. And Sergey, as you mentioned, that uh, you know, as sportsmen, um, you've spent a lot of time building up your career. Or well, these, in some cases, these are players that have spent many years at Shakhtar. And it's one thing to go out on loan and to come back. It's another thing to just go at a drop of a hat, which 
Shakhtar players in particular have seemed to be doing. I think it's quite sort of poignant you mentioned there about the Olympiacos friendly with the, the half-empty stadium and raising $100,000, which euros, which shouldn't be, you know, sort of laughed at, but it is a token gesture. And then you look to the scenes, the pictures, the images from Poland yesterday where there was a lot more emotion, there was a lot more feeling in that friendly, probably because it was in Poland, but also because there were so many Ukrainians connected to Dynamo Kiev. And you even saw Verbich and Kadzora come back. Did they come on yesterday for Dynamo? They've been lent out from their Polish clubs that they've joined and played part of the game. And you could see it meant more for them. Whereas in the case of Shakhtar, they all seem to have sort of dropped their hat and run off as quickly as they could, which is going to leave a lot of questions for that club going forward. Ray, I've got a question for you, though. Uh, I mean, we discussed it briefly there with, with Mudrick. Um, when do you, do you think it's okay for Ukrainian players to be sold going forward? Should they wait till the summer transfer? Should we get things before then? Mm, well, it's clear that um, the transfer window is not open yet in Europe. And so that I, I, I don't see that happening now. And um, I, I don't think that if uh, Mudrik stays, uh, it would mean any difference to him, whether it's spring or summer. Looking at what's going on in Ukraine, I mean, for every Ukrainian, it's just like, uh, well, of course, it's getting warmer. But uh, if for a footballer, for that instance, it's uh, not a huge difference. So um, it's his choice. And uh, we would cheer for him. We would support him and he will be one of us out there. So for him, it would be better if he goes, I, I, I suppose. So, I mean, it's, it's about to happen, but the timing is not for, for us to decide. Listen, guys, I can give you a little perspective from my side, if I can. Um, I was, uh, we can also judge and discuss how the players got out, uh, Dynamo and Shakhtar and, uh, you know, on what grounds and what charitables and all that stuff. But the fact remains the fact that um, right now we have armed forces and National Guard, you know, in, with plenty of reserves in their back. So it's not like we're bleeding out in terms of armed forces. And yes, of course, everybody, we take losses, Russians, a lot of Russians getting killed, thank God. Uh, but, you know, it's not like we're on last defense. You know, it's not like everybody from the streets are taking arms and fighting in the streets. And those guys, uh, and I'm not going to put uh, Marlos, uh, Marlos, I would, um, Marias in the rank of Ukrainians, because we can see that, you know, as fast as he got his citizenship and love for Ukraine, the moment the war started, he just lost his love for Ukraine and just left. You know, uh, that just shows how the person, you know, you, you can be a great sportman, but, you know, the personality that will stay with you for long. The, the football career will be over sometime. I mean, everybody, you cannot play forever. But then your deeds, they remembered. So, uh, but it's not about him. It's about Mudrik, for instance. It's about all the younger or, or current football players. Uh, when in 2014, Russia uh, annexed Crimea and started the war, I was, I was in a tough spot because, you know, I was... Ukrainian. Uh, I was uh, feeling 
uh, that I sure should be a part because right at that time we didn't have any army and it was a tough decision for me because I had a daughter just been born in March 14 uh, and uh, I was still active career I was pretty high in rankings and I've taken a decision that you know that I could um, I could tell the story of Ukraine I can tell the story of uh, of the of our revolution and, and the war with Russia through the media by playing, by raising the flag, you know, and by, by performing in different stages worldwide. And I, I don't know whether there was a revolution or not, but I see these guys stay in the same position and I do believe for them going abroad, going to the different clubs and playing, you know, and showing that Ukraine uh, has talent, Ukraine has players, and most importantly, Ukraine can get a flag to carry abroad. We don't know how this war will end. Of course, I believe we will win. But, you know, we, we don't know the concept. We don't know how nuts Putin is and if he's going to throw a nuclear bomb or something of that matter. And if those guys are going to be abroad, like Zinchenko, Yermolenko, you know, uh, Mikolenko, they will have that flag forever. Uh, you know, even, God forbid, that Ukraine is not going to be here, they'll be playing for the country, even if it doesn't exist. You know, the, the remembrance of the country will exist through them, and the world would see it through them as well. So that's the message which I believe is much more greater than for them staying back in Ukraine and you know joining the territorial defense, for instance. You know, I'm not a professional army man. Of course, okay, so I know how to shoot a rifle. You know, I know basic uh, uh, safety uh, stuff, how to operate the, the weapons, and even maybe some tactics. But still, uh, you know, it, it's not in my blood. I was not trained for this, and. I am retired, so you could say, yes, you know, I didn't have the reason to, to go on and continue playing. But they have the reason. They have the future in front of them. They have the chance to, to celebrate and to glorify Ukraine abroad. And I think that that's, uh, that's what they should do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I've seen firsthand here in the UK as well, before the 24th of February, yeah, people heard about what was going on in Donbass. You know, maybe they heard about MH17 and all that kind of stuff. But then you see the kind of the goal that Yerbolenko scored when he first, and then he collapsed. And sort of, not just only the impact it had in Ukraine itself, where everyone who was watching it in their bomb shelters or whatever, they had a, a sense of pride, a sense of hope, etc. But also everyone in the UK or worldwide that follows the Premier League was able to see that and see how difficult of a, of a time it is for Ukrainian players and how they're getting through it and sort of the defiance they're doing on the pitch whilst uh, the soldiers are doing their bit on the battlefield. And just similar to what Yarmolenko said in a recent interview where he said that we don't want any free passes or anything like that. Uh, don't patronise us on the pitch. We'll be happy to play. Um, as long as we've got arms and legs, we'll be doing what we can in our medium to say. And I, I completely agree with that. From that, I think it'll be a logical point to come to our last topic of the, of the episode. And that's just a bit of a wrap-up between... Um, UPL and Ukraine national team news. So, quick one from the UPL. Uh, Yevhenny Dicky, who is the UPL chief executive, came out today saying that, that there are still hopes to possibly play the end of the current UPL season somewhere in Western Ukraine. Um, I think there was a lot of um, puzzlement from such a statement and the fact that he did note he did include the fact that evidently 
players have gone on loan, players have been sold. There's no legionnaires, there's no foreigners in many of the clubs. Some of the clubs have folded either temporarily, like I think Veres. They now don't have a stadium to play in and, you know, where are they going to train? Their manager is currently in territorial defence. Um, Andriy Bogdanov of Kolos is also in territorial defence. So there's a lot of repercussions. And I think the logical answer to all of this would be either void it or end it at this current stage, but just sort it out sort of from what we have right now, rather than going on with this forever. Because I think well, it's May coming up very soon. We need to know an answer, really. And then it can help out the clubs that potentially might be playing in Europe next season. And even if like the UPL, for whatever reason, doesn't restart, then at least having those clubs in Europe will be another, you could say, representative of Ukraine playing, playing some sort of football there. Uh, I want to just bring uh, Irena back in and hear her thoughts on, on the current, uh, on that UPL statement. What do you think, Irena? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I would like to cancel, just cancel this season. It's not make sense to um, any of decisions because every of that, had a lot of minuses to so we talked a lot about it in uh, in in tribuna and the had it, this idea just to cancel and uh, um i would uh, like to see some plan from uh, football association and uh, upl because for now i saw a lot have for example andri pavelko makes a volunteer uh, some good good stuff but uh, like okay but just do your job with the football i mean not only about the like upl and uh, generally about national team about what what would the plan of the rescue in general of football and to make more sanctions to the like uh, to the russian side uh, for for a football season um, recently, I spoke with one Croatia football fan uh, who was a soldier during a Croatian war against Serbia. And this war, uh, it's like a spoiler for our next interview in, in Tribuna. And this, uh, the, uh, the war was uh, for a long time, for four years. And I asked about the football, what happened with the football? And he said that we played, even in that, uh, during this war, we played a championship. Uh, so we want also to write a text about how how it happened in in war time. I know I don't know exactly what what like what was the condition. Of course, there is no wouldn't be like a big stadiums like games on Olympiski, maybe uh, big crowds in the football games. But anyway, it should be some um, working plan. How wish like it was with coronavirus when it was different than usual but it working uh, the same we should have here uh, for for now there is a lot of thoughts like to continue play uh, or just make a dynamo champion or a shakhtar make champion um, this i'm not sure that we would we need uh, some champion this season uh, about if, if to speak about the places in europa league and champions league uh, it should also some decisions with working working maybe uh, working 
decision with UEFA. I heard someone told that it, it's even, I don't know if it's possible, uh, but to take place uh, instead of Russian in, in Champions League, maybe it, it will work out. It will all depends from what will be in the next weeks in 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 the front line on Donbass, what will what will happen if uh, Russia will continue to shell in all the territory of Ukraine? It will be difficult to think about any food, any kind of football games. Unfortunately, I'll have to give it to you right now that Russia will continue in shelling. There will be a big, unfortunately, one of the biggest battles uh, in the modern history, which will happen uh, in Donbass and Kharkov region in the next week or so so this is just from the military part yeah i i personally don't see the upl resuming and i think matches being played in ukraine anywhere that is um looks very far off and i think just on the final point uh, of the national team just before we wrap up uh, recent news is that they're expected to play in Scotland on the June the 1st. Um, it's not been officially announced, but by the time you're listening to this podcast, it might be. So that might be happening. And then some of the Nations League games that are happening in June will be taken over to September. All rather complicated. Hopefully we can talk you through that in a bit more detail on our next episode. There was even talk, I heard, that Petrakov was saying that he wanted all of the players to convene in Ushhorod and play some play some sort of matches or something there but evidently as we've just mentioned with the UPL there's no safety possibilities and security problems galore from that even though Zakarpache has been relatively safe for the time being. The point is sorry that the Uzhgorod stadium is just way too close to the Slovakian border and the Russian missiles are not that precise that they would risk taking a NATO state so there's there is a a, strategy behind it I would say. And also it's um, on the 30th year of UAF FFO, it would be it would have been a nice gesture to see Ukraine play a match there. But alas, we've got a new independence war carrying on, and hopefully um, that match will take place post victory. Irina, Sergey, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedules to join us tonight. It's been been a real a pleasure to listen to your thoughts and opinions on all of the matters that we've discussed. Uh, I was going to finish off with just asking the simple question. At this time, is it the right time for sport to play its role and help raise morale? Okay. For me, yes. I mean, in Ukraine, you can't really do sport, but if you if you kill sport, uh, you will lose a generation of players. So we need our sport people to try. I know it's been a... Uh, you know, it's been a major disagreement, I would say, in between the Office of the President and the Ministry of Sport, uh, whether the, the athletes should travel abroad and participate in, in uh, championships or whether they should stay and they should defend. I mean, apart from, okay, women and juniors, of course, they should travel, but the male. Uh, I do genuinely believe that, you know, maybe in the beginning of the war, uh, there was uncertainty about how Ukraine will be coping with the aggression uh, of our invaders, uh, how many people will actually need. But now we can see that our armed forces are actually uh, doing miracles and they're not only stopping, but actually, you know, sending them uh, to hell much faster than, the, than they do to us. And I believe in these circumstances when we don't really need their, let's say, people's resistance, you know, like... Uh, uh, partisanship in the streets and all that stuff. Uh, I do believe that the 
the better and bigger impact would be done by the sports people if they would travel, if they would compete, no matter the result, they would still carry the flag, they would still carry the sport, uh, they would still carry the nation. That's what they are trained for, that's what they uh, are doing in their professional time. And that's, I do believe, what they should be doing. Irina, anything to add to that? Uh, totally agree with Sergei. I just want to say uh, how, how we sport journalists in Ukraine and just fans and people proud of our uh, sportsmen who are um, mo- like Sergei and a lot of uh, a lot of famous sportsmen go to like territorial defense, to the army, to other, they just take weapon and uh, protect Ukraine and to other sportsmen who are continue to talk in, uh, continue to talk about Ukraine and uh, speak with the with the journalists and just take uh, the topic of Ukraine in uh, on a high level in for international uh, media. It's very important just continue to keep focus on, on Ukraine, not not let people in the world to to forget about us. Proud and inspired half every time when we see the Ukrainian flag on like different level of competitions and uh, how the sportsmen, even in such a not not the best conditions, continue to to fight uh, on a like different kind of championship like uh, soldiers in a, uh, in an army. Thank you, Irina. Thank you. I think we all echo words from from both of you. Um, that's it for tonight, everyone. We hope that you get as much from this as we've had discussing these issues over the last hour. Uh, Sergey and Irina, again, big thank you from from the three of us for sharing this hour and sharing your thoughts and opinions with us. We've we've really appreciated it. Andrew Ray, any last thoughts? Just everyone, keep up, keep up the war effort for sure. If you're fighting, if you're listening to us, if you're campaigning, if you're doing things across the world, really, um, just keep up the the front line from wherever you are in whatever capacity you can do, and hopefully it will lead us to a quicker victory. That's all that we can really do right now. Right. All I can say is celebrate life and uh, well. Praise Lord and heavy ammunition. Glory to Ukraine. Slava Ukraina, everyone. Yeah, and I'm Slava. Till next, till next time, everybody at home. Take care, stay safe, and goodbye till then. Bye-bye.